I'm Dr. Amalia Ganyas-Malka. Welcome to Womanity, Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender-based violence. Joining us on the line today from Pretoria in South Africa is Professor Vanessa Steenkamp. She is the Deputy Dean of Teaching and Learning in the Faculty of Health Sciences at the University of Pretoria. Besides her doctoral qualification in clinical chemistry, she holds a postgraduate diploma in education. She has a dual registration as a natural scientist and toxicologist with the South African Council for Natural Scientific Professions of which she is currently the deputy chairperson. She is also an active member of scientific organizations. She holds amongst others, an executive role as president of the South African Association of Basic and Clinical Pharmacology, president of the Federation of South African Society of Pathology and vice president of the Toxicology Society of South Africa. Welcome to the show, Prof Steenkamp, for our series on women in medicine and the health sciences. Thank you very much for having me. I'm very happy to be here and to share some of my thoughts and whatever you need from me. Thank you. To begin with, the Faculty of Health Sciences consists of several schools, dentistry, healthcare sciences, health systems and public health, as well as the School of Medicine, each of which house various departments. As Deputy Dean for Teaching and Learning, can you please tell us about some of the work you do as well as the responsibilities that come with holding this position? Yes, well, as you clearly say, we've got the four schools in the um, faculty and all together, 43 different departments. So it's a huge faculty. Naturally, with teaching and learning, we're looking at the curriculum. We're also looking at transforming the curriculum for the medical uh, school of medicine at the moment. Um, That's a huge undertaking because we know that teaching and learning has changed, forever transforming. It's not a static process. It it keeps on continuing to change. We have to work at it constantly. And with the pandemic, there were many things that happened also in the teaching and learning going online, for instance. So the mode of teaching, that's another thing we have to look at how do we teach now are we going to have a maintain a hybrid that is what we do at the university we've done it before even COVID hit us and one of the other possibilities is naturally a high flex that is filming and giving class to people face to face but also having it available for students to watch live but also as a recording so um, it's the mode of teaching It is the curriculum and reviewing that, bringing in new things that we expect and we want of a 21st century student. So the skill sets, um, those have changed. We don't even know what the types of work are going to be in the future. Now, the one thing that I can tell you is that medicine, the Faculty of Health Sciences, a lot of the professions will remain the profession it is. The only things that might change is how we see patients. We might actually have virtual visits with patients, but we've got to teach students that as well. Communication, life long learning. Thinking about some of the elements that you've just expressed, one of the things that strike me is that the world is now returning to normal, thankfully, but workplaces seem to be wanting to revert back 
to the old way of doing things, rather than looking at this blended approach and, and mix and listening to what you've just described, you are going ahead, you're embracing technology, you're utilizing the different tools at your disposal to advance things. How do you think that we can keep this type of mindset and, and frame and keep advancing in that direction rather than regressing to what was comfortable? I don't think there is the option of ever regressing back to what we were. We in the fourth industrial revolution, technology is taking over. If anything, we are going to um, expand on technology. The one thing that there is a shortage of, or it's very expensive, really, I must say, and I don't think it fully covers everything we want to do, is clinical training virtually. So using um, virtual and simulation and that type of te technology um, is very important to us. And we're looking at a lot of technology. So it's a much better preclinical training than just working in a practical lab, for instance, um, and actually doing procedures and homing in the skill. So no, there will be no going back. The other thing that we've seen is it is much better for students that are really well-equipped with um, practical skills to go into the place of work. Naturally, our students are all professionals when they leave the university and they graduate. But industry actually wants students that can do the work. They don't want to go back and teach them. So we've got to see that that flow from university to the place of work is that, that gap is much smaller or actually no gap at all. That's what we want. And this should start early already with looking at kids at school, at secondary school, going over to university, for instance. That gap is also too large. And that's why we see such a lot of students struggling as well. It is a challenge, but one that you rightly say is something that needs to be managed. Given that teaching and learning falls into your core domain, the well-being of students is fundamental. And I noticed that you have a variety of different initiatives that are geared towards students. Two of them that I came across was a food parcel project, highlighting the fact that at least 30% of students are food insecure. And then the second one was the UP Psych project, which address students' vision because you know, naturally part of our, our teaching function is, is very, very visual. Can you tell us a little bit more about the reasons behind these initiatives and what they've been able to achieve? Both of the, the projects that were initiated to assist our students, because we must remember it's not just to assist our students in teaching and learning, but you've overall got to support a student to really be able to perform according to their capabilities. If you are hungry and you don't have food, that's all you can think of. There's no time for learning. If you're also not well fed, I mean, you, you know, undernourished and everything, it definitely impacts on your performance. So that was the one reason that we did that. And we found that there were a lot of students that were struggling we looked at the dignity of the students. We've done it very, um, what can I say, you know, that we didn't mention anybody's names. It wasn't made public to anybody. It was very anonymous. And we asked students if they in need 
of uh, getting food, that we would give them food parcels once a week. We also give them all their toiletries that they need. Now that winter's coming, we did it last year as well. We um, gave them blankets, we gave them hoodies, we gave them um, socks, scarves. So, you know, there are a few other things that we do. So all the sanitary products are also given out to the students, but I don't just do it to there. We also, in the university, at the bathrooms as well, that the dignity of the student is there. I think that is very important. And then... um, I just wanted to say it's such an essential part of learning because often we'll hear about bursaries being awarded and that will tend to be from an academic point of view. But... If you can't eat, if you can't look after yourself, that scholarship is going to be meaningless because students will drop out. And, you know, the thing is, what is such a pity then is if they get security, even if it is a bit later, we must also remember in the pandemic, what happened is that a lot of students couldn't stay in the hostels as well, where there was food. So they were staying at home. And the, the situation in uh, where they are living is very different and they couldn't get food. So in some instances, we also ensured that it was dropped off, but the students could come and collect it here. But yes, it is definitely um, a huge problem, you know, because also getting the, the payout of the money and everything, although the faculty did very, very well, we really were on top of things. Um, there were other initiatives that I also did do for our students that we're getting grants even um, regarding the accommodation, which we can also talk about. Those support structures are incredibly important. And now after that little interruption, could you tell us about the, the, the site project? Okay, so the site project, what happened there is that we found, um, especially in our faculty, is that students come in with good eyesight and they've shown that the longer the length of study, the poorer the eyesight becomes. So we noticed that students in the final year actually start wearing um, spectacles. So we said, no, listen, there must be something about this and what is also happening at the in the rest of the university. So I must say, this is not just for the faculty. I've opened that as a, a project for the entire university. A lot of students don't have medical aid. And they can't afford it. Their families can't afford it either. So we uh, undertook a thing with Prof. Makunyane at um, ophthalmology, where we um, said, okay, we will collect all spectacles that people aren't using. We know as you progress in life, your eyes change. What do you do with the spectacles? Nobody does anything with them. So we said, bring in the spectacles. We've got the the interns, the registrars that are actually um, using the frames as well as the lenses for the prescription and for the reading glasses and putting them together. So the students then can go for a, a visit and actually they will look and check the eyesight and what is required. So it's totally free of charge. This also gets done at the Twane Clinic um, and um, for eyesight as well. So it's we do it in collaboration with them. And the glasses or the spec, I mustn't say glasses, actually the spectacles that are left over or are still also available, and there are many, we also then reach out and give to the community who can't afford it at all. So, you know, it's actually working once again together or incorporating the community in this as well, where they can also get some advantage out of it. That's a wonderful initiative and 
so needed. It really is a, a meaningful, purposeful, driven initiative. Hi, I'm Zonke Digana, a South African Afro-Soul musician, songwriter and producer. You are listening to Womanity, Women in Unity on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Today, we're talking to Professor Vanessa Steenkamp, who is the Deputy Dean of Teaching and Learning in the Faculty of Health Sciences at the University of Pretoria. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. Prof. Steenkamp, when I look at your profile, it really brings to light a long track record of achievements and commitment to health sciences and, and medicine. Today, you hold a number of important positions and effectively, you've become a role model for many women across Africa to aspire to your achievements. We chatted earlier briefly about 4IR. We know that STEM subjects, so science, technology, maths, and engineering have been cited as being pivotal for jobs of the future, which we don't know what those jobs will be as of today. But various reports indicate that women have been underrepresented in these disciplines, which is obviously going to create a a gap and a disadvantage to work and job opportunities in this new world and, and future that we face. Do you think that the South African environment is supportive enough to encouraging women to pursue scientific fields of interest? Well, I totally agree with you. There's very limited women in these areas, especially in the mathematics and the the engineering. I think this is still a backlog of what we had years ago. I mean, if there is still people today of working class but didn't have the option of going to study because women just weren't allowed into that. So, you know, it was the traditional positions that they had. They could become a secretary or a nurse, and that was it. And uh, how many others had ambitions to actually become something else, maybe like an engineer or whatever they wanted to do, but they weren't given that option. And I think times, well, not I think, times have changed. Things are also changing more rapidly now. I think there can be much more support for women. Um, And I think women must stand together more, to be very honest. You know, with the support structures we have, even in teaching and learning, although we've got very um, high academic achievers because they selected students in our faculty, but looking at other faculties as well, is that we have got tutoring and everything to help students to be successful. And when you get through, I mean, you, you can just look forward and progress. But um, I think women have to stand together much, much more. And they mustn't be frightened to go into this. I mean, men have dominated a lot of these um, areas. So I think that is um, what we must look past and say, you know what, there is no reason why I cannot also do it. And there's the same assistance for men and women. I think we must just use it more. And also where women are actually helping and assisting and giving it um, is to to really take that to heart. On a practical level, do you think it's issues of insufficient awareness or inadequate networking opportunities to try to bring women together and to help them um, form a unified front? 
You know, there are some um, organizations coming out, like the Women in Science and things like that, which I've become a member of, that you then become a mentor for. And that is um, was initiated in Africa, as well as the African Academy of Sciences. And um, these help in mentoring women. And um, that is really, really very useful. And I think a lot of people can use that in all the countries, the neighboring countries, as well as in South Africa. So there are these type of efforts that are out there, although it's many times on Women's Day or things like that, that we promote this. But as I say, it's something like Mother's Day. There shouldn't be something like just one Mother's Day. And especially when you get to education, they must every day should be there to support women to get further and assist them. But there are changes, but that is very slow. But I think um, women will become stronger now. And um, also with the changes in, as I said, what um, the types of jobs that are coming up, this is maybe the opportunistic time to actually incorporate this for women as well, the changes. Well, thanks for sharing some of those organizations, (coughs) the importance of of mentorship. And I think linking back to what we said earlier about looking at some of these bridges that happen between school and university, university and the workplace, that if we can close some of those gaps, it just builds that pipeline to pull people up through the system. On top of your day job, You're an active member of several organizations. You you mentioned women in science, and I I have to say that one one isn't even listed on your CV. But in these organizations, I I wanted to ask you, would you say that participating in them comes with the territory of pursuing the top post in your field, or is it a gradual involvement which has evolved over time and become part of your identity? It's definitely not part of my role, but the thing is, it was just always my interest to want to know more what an organization stands and actually really to give back to the fraternity, whichever fraternity it is. I've had a very varied uh, teaching or, or education. So I've got a very broad background, you know, going from zoology, entomology and botany as my major subjects into uh, honours in um, physiology, zoology, and then doing a master's once again in physiology, but also biochemistry, and then ending off with clinical biochemistry, which is human-based. So it's it's very varied, and this has really allowed me to have a quite a broad knowledge base and being involved this and being interested and, as I said, wanting to give back to the community and doing the best um, for others. It's just something that I've really been interested in. And, um, you know, there's very few people that actually are in a profession that want to be involved. They always say it takes so much time on these committees. Yes, it does take time, but I mean, it's also if you're a committee that works well together, everybody has their job to do. Um, And the other thing is, you know, I think there's too few women that actually do climb into these positions and get involved in these positions um, and actually put their hands up and say, listen, yeah, but you know what? I can do it. And you know, the woman doesn't have to always just be the secretary of an organization. I think if we have a look also at how many of the women are presidents of organizations, there's very few. 
And um, that is also not something that is, is common. But I think it also depends on how you get along with people and what you're really doing for the organization. I can just tell you that um, the Pharmacology Society, for instance, is now this year 55 years old. I am the first woman president that the, the society has ever had. You know, that is actually very astonishing um, that something like that would, you know, happen. The other thing is, I can tell you, I founded the, the African Federation of Clinical Chemistry as well to improve um, all laboratory testing results in that in the whole of Africa. Fortunately, I was the inaugural president as well. And since then, there's only been men. So that's one thing that we know in Africa, it is very male dominated. But I think if women put their head together, decide this is what I'm going to do. And that is what I did with the South African Association of um, the Pharmacology Association, basically clinical pharmacology. Another example is also even the pathology. I've been the longest um, running president, but also one of the, the, the only women to be the, the, the president of that organization. So I think if you know you put your, your head to it and you can think proactively of what to do, where you want to take an organization and improve the organization. And women have the ability to do that. I think women have a lot of more compassion um, involved with the community as well to bring the two together. Based on what you've said, I mean, these are patterns that we see mimicked across everywhere, that there are so few women at the top in leadership positions and I often wonder if it's not just a combination of sort of pull from the organization in terms of the policies that it develops to encourage or look at gender ratios, as well as a push dynamic from women themselves. And, and you've said on a number of times during our conversation about women coming together, that we create these, these pockets of, of excellence and try to nurture them to, to move up the ladder and, and take on more responsibility. But then at the same time, and alluding to what we chatted to offline, there is this negotiation between commitments to work and commitments to the home life. You're a busy professional. You're also mother to four boys. Striking this, this balance between office, home, committees is something which people really do grapple with. So can you please tell us how you do it? What, what is your formula? <laughs> yes, well, it's, you know, it's a lot of things for give and take. I must say you've got to be highly organized. I preempt a lot of stuff as well. Really knowing the rules and the regulations are very important so that you don't make extra work for yourself. I also think head on, if there are problems within um, any organization or even at home or wherever, discuss it. Rather discuss something and listen to everybody's point of view. Take longer time by that than actually brushing it under the carpet and having to revisit it a year later because it's really going to come back. It's going to recur. Rather get it over and done with. I hate revisiting things. When I've changed something, I see that it's also for the better, for the better option. And um, I think I've also taught my children to be very open and being able to come and speak to one so that when there is a problem, 
attend to it immediately. Um, I have got actually got triplets and I've got an older boy. He's four years older than his brothers. But anyway, they were born two months premature. And I went to the hospital every day and naturally. And I wanted to tell you when they left hospital, when they at least reached their two kilograms in weight, I just kept to the routine. So it's important to keep to routine. And I think that is another thing that I've taught my children as well. Also in the workplace, if you have a meeting on, say, an instance, a Monday, ensure that you always have it at the same time on a Monday because people get used to the meeting time. Then you know this isn't your schedule. But as soon as you start moving it around, that's when we don't see each other. It moves on another week and eventually it just doesn't happen. Frequent meetings, very important. But in the long run, even if it is for 15 minutes or 30 minutes, listen, is everything right? Is there anything you'd like to bring up? Just touch base with people very important so that, uh, you know, things don't just load up and then it becomes a crisis, as I say. Also, you know, with my children, spending time. I mean, that is one thing I do do. I work quite long hours, you can naturally think, but I see to it that I do take time off and commit that time. When I'm dedicated to my children, that is my time with my family and um, at home. So, yes, I think, you know, it's very possible to do that. I can also tell you one thing that as you move up, your support structure actually works the other way around for you at work as well. I've always had this uh, support. My late husband was very supportive of what I'd done. He unfortunately passed away just over two years ago, not due to COVID. It was something else very unexpected. But, you know, I always had the support of my husband through all the years, as well as my children now, very, you know, supportive of what I do. And then naturally within your work, if you have, I can at least say the buy-in and you get along with your colleagues well and they trust you. That is so important because you can rely on them. I'm not saying you become friends, the biggest friends, but you know it's the mutual trust in each other and everything that is so important because you know everybody will do what they need to do. I do lead by example. So if I expect you to publish one paper or two papers a year, I will ensure that I at least publish two actually more, but um, not to outplay the person. But I think it's important to see, but if you can do it, you know, I can also then do it. So I think that is important. And actually, I've got a wonderful um, personal assistant. I don't even call her that. I call her my other half. You just need the support structure of people around you to really help you and who also believe in you. And it's just wonderful to work in that, those circumstances where there's no fighting, no animosity. That is a fantastic set of practical advice from support structures through to routines, through to organization, and importantly, the collegial atmosphere and culture that's fostered with, with mutual respect. And this really dovetails into my next question, where I wanted to ask you about some of the factors that you consider have contributed to your success. So if there are any additions that you'd like to make, um, please do share some. Well, I think the one thing is it hasn't been easy to get to where I am today. 
I have had very bad experiences. I've really been broken down. I've been told that I just don't have it in me to, to do a PhD. I will never surmount to anything. But I think never give up. If you want to do something, be determined that if you get up, you're going to be a stronger person at the end. Because I think you work harder. So you should not regress and become depressed but say, listen, you know what I'm going to show you? With all the times I was knocked down, I actually became a stronger person. So those people actually helped me. And to some of them, I have actually gone back to say, you know what, thank you very much. If it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have been where I am today. So don't see everything as negative. You know, I mean, well, I actually do see things as positive. I always the cup half full, then half empty. And I believe that things happen for a reason but take the good out of everything. You remind me of Custer Semenya in terms of when we had her on, on the show and she said how she literally uses their negativity that comes through to foster her success. But it is so challenging to do something like that. Hi, this is Lira, South African Afro soul singer and songwriter. You're listening to Womanity, Women in Unity, presented by Dr. Amelia Malka on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, a program that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggle for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights and democracy. Today, we're talking to Professor Vanessa Steenkamp, who is the Deputy Dean of Teaching and Learning in the Faculty of Health Sciences at the University of Pretoria. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. You've got a very broad set of interests. And as you were taking us through your career development from zoology to physiology to toxicology, biochemistry, can you tell us about some of the pivotal moments in your life growing up, which led you to pursue these subjects? Well, when I left school, I actually was not sure, but I did go for all the tests to see what you should be doing. And um, they said to go into either medicine or to go into research. So those were my two options. When it was for medicine, I think I am too empathetic. And I just thought, oh, you know, how would I ever embrace this telling somebody, you know what, you're going to lose a loved one or you're going to lose a leg or that was just too, too traumatic. So I went into the science and, I've, I, you know, I've never looked back. I love, love, love what I do and projects that I was doing, the, the real science has always interested me. I love doing research. I love also now being a supervisor and teaching people how to do research. When I did my master's as well, I did so well and I couldn't believe it. So I think that just stimulated me more and more and more. And the project I was doing was very interesting. I worked on porcupines and I isolated a protein which we were going to take further to use as a birth control for um, elephants. I finished off the project to where we were 
then I, I was ready to start getting engaged and married. And I rather decided not to go overseas to America, but I went to Wits to finish off my um, PhD. And when I did my PhD on traditional medicines, I actually went to the patients in the hospital. Very little was known. So I was trying to see how we can diagnose patients. And I set up some rapid tests like you'd get in um, the emergency labs that are very fast to distinguish between, for instance, um, a diabetic coma compared to one plant that actually does a lot of poisoning. So all the plants where we've got the majority of poisonings, I did rapid tests that I developed that were also used then in forensic sciences and the pathology there for even for post-mortem cases for testing. Fascinating from porcupines and isolating <laughs> proteins and how that could be used as contraceptive in elephants, a myriad of interests delivering meaning uh, and, and purpose. I wanted to ask you if there have been any particular women or female role models or influences in your life that you could tell us about. One person that definitely comes to mind for me is um, Dr. Naledi Pandor. I was fortunate to meet her very um, early on in my career when she was Minister of Science and Technology. We also then started the Toxicology Society. Now that I did together with my one colleague, Professor Mary Galumian. And that is now recognized and you can um, register as a, a toxicologist. So that was very new to um, South Africa. And that's where she endorsed me as one of the members on um, SACNASP to evaluate applications and everything. A wonderful woman. And I've really had a high respect for her. And also what she has done in life has really been astounding to me. Um, I think she's come far. She's a really... A, a lovely a woman, very intelligent, can speak about so many things as well. Her diversity of knowledge is astounding. I must also say that um, you were talking about Castasemania, and as it is, um, what about five weeks ago, I was at a La Luz thing that we did for community service. I took 105 of the students from um, our university, from different disciplines and schools to go and work at the clinics, in the rural clinics. And you won't believe it, that evening, um, Castasonia was there. And I didn't know about it, so I met her. I mean, also her fighting for everything she's been through has been absolutely wonderful. She was wonderful to listen to. And I also then, at the, the guest speaker there was um, Dr. Nkosazana Dlaminizuma, as well, was a very soft-spoken lady and also, you know, was very recognizable of what we had done and from the university and really thanked me. Also somebody that's really nice and I've had the opportunity to listen to previously. Those are all in incredible women and I, I must say we've been privileged to have hosted them on the show previously and I attest to those attributes that you've shared about them. Lastly, as we close out today's discussion, please, can you use this platform to share a few words of, of wisdom or motivation that you'd like to pass on to women and girls who are listening to us on the continent? Well, you know, nothing is impossible. If you've got a dream, 
really reach for that dream. Go for it. The road is not going to be easy. Any road in life, it doesn't matter what, what life you take, has got bumps in it. Even if you're studying, think of your life, even primary school, secondary school, university. I mean, one day it's up or down or whatever. We, we, there are things that happen personally, but also, you know, in your studies, during your studies or whatever, even during work life. But you know what? Look at the positive side. Remain positive. Reach for what you're going to do. If you do that, get involved. You know, a volunteer to get involved. It's so satisfying to become involved and really see that you're making a difference in other people's lives. And as I say, I am so grateful for everything I've received that I want to give back. And that is why I think I also get involved with all these community projects with, um, you know, um, I'm still very involved with students. I love them to bits. I, I can never think of my life without students around me or even other people. So, you know, I am really, yeah, if somebody wants to ever contact me and say, listen, yeah, can you help me with this or that? I think, um, you know, definitely I will. And that's why I think I just get onto more of more of these uh, committees. And sometimes I think, oh, I'm not going to do this. But you know what? You find the time. It's the busy people that actually always find the time to do this. But dream big, go for it, reach for the stars. And I wish everybody success. And tell people, share with people where you want to go. And your true friends will support you. Your family will support you and you will get there. And in yourself, you must also believe that or know this is what you want and believe that you will achieve it. Thank you for that wonderful message. And thank you very much for joining us on the show today. It's been a pleasure to host you and hear about the different dynamics that you've been involved with and how that's helped you get to where you are today in your career and as a person. Thank you very much for once again inviting me to, to chat to me and then also, you know, sharing some of my, I wouldn't say my wisdom or my knowledge or whatever, but just a few words, you know, and hope I'm hoping this was encouragement to everybody. Thank you so much again. You have been listening to Womanity, Woman Immunity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective. And we have been talking to Professor Vanessa Steenkamp, who is the Deputy Dean of Teaching and Learning in the Faculty of Health Sciences at the University of Pretoria.